Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. As we get closer to the second round of Democratic debates, we are again preparing to hear a lot of different ideas about some of the biggest challenges that face our nation. Issues like health care, climate change, infrastructure, immigration, partisan tribalism, and more are all likely topics that will come up. But before all of that kicks off, we want to talk with one of the contenders right now, U.S. Senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker. Welcome to Detroit Today. It's great to be on Detroit Today. Uh, it's great to be back in Detroit. This is where my mom was born and where my family moved uh, from the South to get out of poverty. And my grandfather worked on the assembly lines here and uh, was a member of UAW. So love being here. And yeah. I'm grateful for the city. I remember hearing that story a number of years ago when you visited us, visited us at the Detroit Free Press and sat with the editorial board for, for a number of hours. Um, let's start with uh, just your thumbnail pitch for why Cory Booker ought to be the Democratic nominee next year to run against uh, presumably Donald Trump for president of the United States. Well, my whole career is running at the toughest problems in our country and pulling people together to create uncommon coalitions that ultimately produce uncommon results from taking over our state's largest city at a time that it was an economic freefall during a recession. We actually ushered in Newark's biggest economic development boom in 60 years, transformed our school system to now the number one school system in America for beat the odd schools, kids that are in poverty to go on to high performance. And uh, I became a United States senator at a time that people talked about a divided Congress. And in fact, the only major bipartisan bill to pass under this president uh, was one that I led from the Democratic side for criminal justice reform. This is a time when you said it, we're falling into deeper tribalism as a country. We need a leader that can actually pull people together to get things done, because we are a nation that still shares common cause and common purpose in this urgent issue that we have to address from climate change uh, to the challenges of an economy that doesn't work for everybody. And I'm the leader that cannot just beat Donald Trump, but can actually get big things done. So uh, let's talk about some of the headlines that you've been making uh, this week. The first is for your criticism of former Vice President Joe Biden. You called his new plan to combat mass incarceration, quote, failed. Why do you think that? And what's your plan to deal with that issue? Well, first and foremost, you know, Vice President Biden was one of the architects of mass incarceration. He uh, supported that 1994 crime bill. And really, until he decided to run for president this time, he was bragging about it as if it was some kind of great accomplishment. But in cities like Detroit and Newark, we saw it churn disproportionately low income, disproportionately African-Americans into a period of the greatest incarceration on the planet Earth, where incarceration rates in this country uh, have, have skyrocketed since 1980 alone. Uh, supercharged by that legislation, prison populations on the federal level went up 800 percent. And so as opposed to having a bold plan to dismantle mass incarceration, he soft pedaled things. You know, we had more marijuana arrests, for example, in 2017 than all the violent crime arrests combined. In other words, we have people uh, who are going to jail, losing their everything from their voting rights uh, to their ability to get a loan from the bank because they're, they're doing things that two of the last three presidents admitted to doing. And so for him to have a plan that doesn't uh, call not just for the legalization of marijuana on the federal level, but to incentivize states to change these clearly biased laws around marijuana and, and move towards a system of, of regulation, taxation and legalization 
is unacceptable. His plan doesn't have anything to do with uh, police accountability, which is a really big part of criminal justice reform. So there are a number of things uh, about his uh, plan that fall short of doing what we have to do, which is have a criminal justice system that reflects our values. Now, I've been the champion of this in the Senate, um, and I have uh, numerous pieces of legislation um, that some of which have moved, some of which have become law, um, that really deal with the beginnings of of the idea that in this country you should have a justice system that treats people fairly, uh, that treats people in a way that empowers them, not over-incarcerating people who are addicted, not over-incarcerating people that are poor or people with mental health challenges. And so we have a very comprehensive criminal justice plan, and I hope people will go to CoreyBooker.com and find out more of the details. Uh, let's talk about uh, health care and the soaring cost of uh, pharmaceuticals. Talk about what would you, you would do to reform or improve that system uh, and how that seems to be playing out in the Democratic primary so far, that debate. Well, first and foremost, we, we have a system that's savagely broken, uh, way too expensive for the average American, and uh, unfortunately, it leaves a lot of people without the health care that they need. Um, And you mentioned pharmaceuticals. I mean, this is something uh, that I've championed to reduce the cost of pharmaceuticals through a number of means. One is the obvious of using Medicaid and Medicare to negotiate down prices. But I think we need to go further than that. Um, I wrote a bill with Senator Casey and Senator Sanders to allow safe importations from other countries. And I believe that if a company is charging for the same drug, uh, higher prices for the same drug in our country, than in others, and often that's a hundred times the cost of a drug in another country, that we should take away their patents and allow generics to get involved. We need to have strong measures to stop people profiteering off of our pain. And ultimately, I think that I'm one of these folks that favors a single-payer system, but I know to get there, um, we have to have a glide path, and that's why the first step has got to be producing a much stronger public option that allows people to buy in Um, or even businesses to participate. Uh, We can do a lot uh, to lower the cost of our health care and to create rationalize a system that is savagely broken and having people put aside their prescription drugs or their insulin because they can't afford it or putting off going to see a doctor because they can't afford a copay Um, uh, uh, and ultimately costing more because they end up waiting until they're really sick and end up in hospital emergency rooms. We can change this system uh, and I'm going to be the president that does it. Hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Cory Booker, a Democratic U.S. Senator from New Jersey and one of the 20 Democratic presidential hopefuls we will see right here in Detroit this week uh, as they debate for the second time uh, in the kickoff to the campaign for president in 2020. Uh, Senator, I want to I talk more about the field here and where you feel like you fit into that field. Um, there are a lot of folks who think they should be the challenger to, to President Trump. Uh, and, and of course, there's a lot of agreement uh, across that field on a lot of these issues. And certainly, uh, they are close to you. Are, you're all closer to each other than you are uh, to the president. Um, talk about the things that uh, that you think make you stand out in in that field and what your path perhaps to victory looks like from from your chair how do you how do you convince people that Cory Booker is is the right person and not uh, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Steve Bullock for that matter 
Well, I, I'm a part of a new dynamic uh, generation of leaders and have a resume that's very unique, actually, in this field. As someone who actually was a chief executive of a state's largest city during a crisis, a, a national recession in decades, Newark had um, a lot of challenges, and we were able to turn a city around dramatically, and I served as a chief executive that was able to make changes, and that combined with somebody who's been a legislator in Washington and knew how to navigate uh, systems in order to get uh, big pieces of legislation done from opportunity zones, which is getting investment in the lowest income areas of our of our country, driving billions of dollars there, to the criminal justice bill I talked about before. But it's more than that. You know, I do have a distinct message in this field. There's a lot of folks who, you know, want to fight fire with fire. As a guy who ran a fire department, I don't think that's the message. You don't. What we need to do right now is uh, is find ways to bring new coalitions, new American majorities. And I'm not talking Democrat or Republican, but I really believe that we've got to find ways to get this country back focused on a larger sense of common purpose and common cause. We need to have leaders that can heal after a president who's engaged in such moral vandalism uh, that can have a revival of civic grace, uh, create a more deeper empathy and understand that ultimately, if we're going to get the big things done, we have got to have a leader that can inspire uh, really uh, more indivisible into this one nation under God. And so my belief on my pathway to get there is that I will beat Donald Trump because we will excite um, um, more participation. We will take voters back that we lost in the last election by having someone that has a broad-based appeal. Uh, even in this primary, we're already showing uh, that we're building better organizations. Everybody from the Des Moines Register to the New York Times has pointed out We've built some of the best ground game in those early primary states. And while polling is not a good measure because the people from our party who have gone on to be president uh, from Jimmy Carter to Bill Clinton to Barack Obama, this far out, the polls did not in any way reflect that they would eventually be the nominee. But what did is the kind of campaign and organization they were building on the ground. And we have uh, inarguably one of the best organizations and campaigns. So I look forward to really working to earn the support of folks in Detroit uh, and folks in Michigan. Uh, this is the kind of state in many ways that reflects how I've emerged in politics. It's got incredible cities like Newark and, and, and Detroit and uh, larger suburban areas um, that are, I think, part of our base that we've got to excite and energize. And as a candidate, it's always been about our aspirations, uh, seeking to be the best of who we are as a nation and doesn't believe that we're going to beat Donald Trump by getting into the gutter with him, fighting him on his terms and his turf. I want to call our party to understand that it can't be about articulating what we're against. It has to be about exciting people about what we're for. Hmm. And beating Donald Trump is critical, but it is the floor and not the ceiling of our aspirations. And in fact, we'll do a lot better job in this campaign if we talk about that ceiling where we want to bring this country, how do we get out of the valley uh, that Donald Trump has dragged us in, and how do we get to the mountaintop of where we must go as a nation together? Uh, let's talk about your uh, sort of turn toward this idea of a kind of big, warm embrace uh, of the American people. Uh, you said in 2016 that we are called to be a nation of love. And uh, earlier this year, you said, I believe in radical love for all people. That's an unusual way for a presidential candidate to talk about campaigning. Talk about what you mean when you say that. Well, I, I, we're all here because of a larger conspiracy of love. Remember, the way you beat demagogues, the way you beat hate mongers, uh, 
the way you beat uh, uh, folks who used rhetoric in the past, just like Donald Trump, because our, the gardens of our democracy have never been free of the weeds of hatred and bigotry and demagoguery. Everybody from the know-nothings who Trump uses their same kind of language, but then that was a major political party that was against Irish immigrants and German immigrants. Uh, we've seen McCarthyism. We've seen uh, these vile strains that always seem to be evident in our in our country, but we deal with them. And the way we deal with them is not by taking on their tactics. We did not beat Bull Connor in Birmingham by bringing bigger dogs and stronger fire hoses. We beat him with that kind of radical uh, unarmed truth and a call to the consciousness and the moral imagination of the country. And ultimately, his uh, his demagoguery, his brand of hate, uh, fell dramatically as we built new coalitions, not just of African Americans, but you saw blacks and whites and Latinos and Jews and Christians. We built a new American majority to tear down uh, walls of injustice and expand avenues of opportunity. This is one of those moral moments. And what kind of leader will emerge? Will it one be one that wants to... Uh, get into the gutter and fight um, uh, using the same tactics as Trump? Or will we fight with a more power? And that power comes from our unity. It comes from our connection. It comes from realizing the lines that divide us are not as strong as the ties that bind us. Whoever the next leader of our country is going to be, especially after this president, they've got to be someone that can heal. They've got to be somebody who can reunite. And as I said earlier, to sort of have a revival of that ideals of civic grace. Because at the end of the day, the, the way this economy is going, uh, there are Republican and Democratic working class folks who have seen their wages stagnant. There are people on both sides of the aisle suffering from environmental injustice as we see Superfund sites proliferate in our country. And more than 3,000 jurisdictions right now where children have more than, more than twice the blood lead levels of Flint, Michigan. We know in this nation um, that if we can pull together coalitions, there's nothing we can't do. We just celebrated a 50-year anniversary of going to the moon. We created an exciting leader like John F. Kennedy, inspired new American majorities to do things that people thought weren't possible in humanity. That's our history, and that's the kind of leaders we need, again, that can make us in this generation defy gravity and reach new heights. Uh, at the same time, of course, uh, the president and his rhetoric and behavior, I think, challenge everybody uh, in the way that they think about and react to politics. Uh, recently on Zeth Myers, you said, for instance, you want to punch President Trump. Uh, and I know that's uh, sort of a tongue-in-cheek kind of uh, reference, but I, I, I think everybody at this point is is pushed to uh, to ends that maybe they hadn't thought they would get to because of this presidency. Is there a danger in indulging that, uh, that push? Well, I, no. Well, I mean, I made that as a joke to say. <laughs> right. I actually told a story of, you know, go, about to jump on a stage in Iowa and having a guy come up to me and says, dude, I want you to punch Donald Trump in the face. <laughs> and, and I look at him and I go, dude, that's a felony. And, and, but I know that instinct. As a former tight end for Stanford University, uh, I, I know that testosterone runs deep in me as a big guy. And sometimes I just want to trap, strap, strap on the uh, chin strap and knock somebody over. But that's not what our politics can be about. I mean, figuratively, I'm a great fighter. In fact, there's an Oscar-nominated documentary on street on Netflix right now called Street Fight on yes. how we beat a political machine. And frankly, 
I didn't do that by using the machine's tactics. I did that by inspiring a city to be better than we were and to find common cause. And so, you know, we tend to often uh, elect opposites as presidents. Uh, clearly, in many ways, uh, we've seen that uh, with the difference between George Bush and Barack Obama. Well, I think that the way we take out Donald Trump is by bringing forward the opposite of what he is. Leaders that do in the public forum talk about the fact that patriotism is love of country. And you cannot love your country unless you love your fellow countrymen and women. And that's not a sentiment. That's not a kumbaya thing. Love is fierce. It says, hey, if your kids don't have a great public education, then my kids are lesser off. If your kids don't have access to health care, my kids could be bereft of their genius and their artistry uh, and their contributions. At the end of the day, as the old African saying says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Great leaders don't divide this country against itself as Donald Trump is doing. Great leaders are the ones that can help us uh, uh, to begin to understand that we have common cause and common purpose. That's the way I'm going to beat Donald Trump, and that's the way we as a nation are not going to just get rid of a leader, but deal with the problems that were going on, a lot of them, before he was elected. Environmental injustice, criminal injustice, economic injustice. A lot of these challenges were ailing the soul of our nation before Donald Trump. And in some ways, Donald Trump is a symptom of, 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 of a lot of these problems. And so I'm, I'm interested in beating him, and we will, in profoundly dramatic ways relegate him to the same parts of the dark corners of our history that we've relegated other hate mongers and demagogues. But more importantly than that, what, what we really have to do is find ways as a nation um, to find that common ground so that we can do the kind of things that address the hurt and the pain and the struggle of too many Americans. Uh, before I let you go, I want to—you've you, referenced a couple times uh, what's going on in Flint with the water crisis, uh, and that, of course, fits in the context of a much larger problem we have with infrastructure uh, in this country. The president actually has said a lot about infrastructure and the need to to invest more in it and invest in revitalizing it. He hadn't been able to get a whole lot done. Um, what would your approach to be to fixing all of this and and uh, you know also raising the money uh, to deal with uh, these incredible sprawling problems both above and beneath the ground? Well, remember, this is the president instead of coming right out and trying to solve that problem. His first things were a Muslim ban. His first things was trying to take away health care from people. Um, and has this toxic tr Trump tax cut where he is now blowing a trillion dollar annual deficit. Our deficit is now up to a trillion dollars because of his horrible bill of giving tax cuts to the wealthiest. We have the money. We have the resources. Reversing the Trump tax cuts alone would give us hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that we can invest in infrastructure. So we're going to have a massive infrastructure plan under my leadership to the tune of, uh, of about $2 trillion of investment that's going to involve uh, uh, climate uh, resiliency and uh, um, climate efficiency so we can begin to deal with what I think is an existential threat and must be a part of every policy operation. But even more than that, it will attack environmental injustice. Uh, even more than that, it's going to create uh, 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 tens and tens of thousands of jobs. Um, it's going to make sure that we create more economic opportunity, not just in jobs, but when you expand infrastructure, when you expand mass transit, when you expand uh, 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 the security of our electrical grid, 
uh, you actually expand economic opportunity. We have broadband penetration, high-speed Internet, like other countries are doing. You expand opportunity. And that's what we have to get back to. And remember, this used to not be a partisan thing. The last big, major infrastructure investment, which would be a trillion dollars in today's money, was the Eisenhower Highway Act. And I will be the president that doesn't just talk about infrastructure like this president does, but delivers on it in a dramatic fashion that makes us catch up to our uh, competitors like China, who built 18,000 miles of high-speed rail. Uh, We will lead the planet again in investing in the things that build an economy that works for everybody, like infrastructure, like education, like research and development on everything from Alzheimer's all the way to uh, the the new uh, uh, cures of the future. Okay, U.S. Senator Cory Booker, really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here in Detroit on stage. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, and again, uh, just grateful for the service you all provide uh, a city that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to just remind folks that we're going to actually have a rally on the 1st of August uh, at St. Andrew's Hall at 5 p.m., and I hope people will come out after the debates and uh hear more about what we have to say. And you can text Detroit to 40203 uh, to RSVP for the rally. And that's Detroit to 40203. That was my interview with New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, which we taped last week in advance of this week's Democratic presidential debates here in Detroit. On Tuesday and Wednesday, we have invited all of the candidates who are going to be here to come on the program to talk about their campaigns and their prospects. We haven't gotten a whole lot of takers yet, uh, but we are going to keep trying. We would love to have all of them join us to talk about uh, about the campaign. Uh, we will be joined by Montana Governor Steve Bullock, who has agreed to, to talk with us uh, about, about this week's debate. Uh, if you want to give us a call, 313-577-1019, tell us what you think of what Senator Booker said about his prospects, about his campaign to be president of the United States. What did you think about his ideas? Where do you think he fits in the field of candidates who we'll see this week? And what do you think it will take for Democrats to nominate somebody who could actually challenge President Donald Trump, who, of course, won the election in uh, 2016 by not winning the popular vote, but by putting together enough electoral votes to be the president. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Also, give us a call and tell us what you're looking forward to hearing about uh, this week as the Democratic candidates take the stage to debate. Uh, what what kinds of things do you want to hear them address? They will be here in the city of Detroit. Of course, we have a lot of problems here that uh, we haven't heard a lot about during this campaign. Are you hoping that they will turn to some of the urban issues that we have uh, when they're here? Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and you can put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, what's on your mind? Hi, how are you? I I keep thinking about the 2016 election, and you had all these Republicans challenging Trump, and they were all taking the high ground. Like he was just you know calling his opponents names and stuff like that. It's a strategy that um, he won. I mean, otherwise John Kasich would have been you know, the president. Hmm. Uh, I think the Democrats are, are making a big mistake by um, trying to go this way and, and, you know, just be like Cory Booker was talking uh, talking about love and all that. There's a history of the Democrats with Walter Mondale and 
uh, Dukakis, and you know the the attack is that they're milk toast and you know mamsy pamsy, and they're not real fighters for the people. And I I think that you can call people names, but they can be truthful, but they can be nice names that tell the truth, like Putin, <laughs> tell Trump or Moscow, Mitch McConnell. You know, this this talks about our democracy being under attack without, you know, making fun of their weight or their height or, you know, their hand size. And um, Robert, that's a really effective. That's a really interesting uh, point. It's a really interesting approach that you're suggesting there. It essentially says, look, let's play by his rules, but maybe not play the same game. In other words, you would like the Democrats to 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 sort of take a more confrontational tone but maybe not make it as as personally insulting as what the president has done. I, you know, I, I, I think that's always a gamble, right? That's always a risk when you indulge the kind of lowering of the debate that the president has has really encouraged and really pushed hard on. Um, but but I think uh, your your way of of suggesting that they do it is is really interesting in the sense that it's different than just kind of a tit for tat. It is not maybe indulging quite the same kind of pejorative or, or ad hominem attack that the president has has done, but saying, look, you got to attack him in a way that will appeal to people. I, I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of that uh, happen at this debate, but, uh, but, but I guess we'll see. And I really appreciate uh, the call and the comments. Let's go to Mark in Rochester. Mark. What's on your mind? Hey, great hey. show. Um, you know, the thing that really resonated with me with uh, Mr. Booker was that he wasn't only just talking about infrastructure, but he was combining it with our environmental needs and, you know, what's going on with, um, you know, climate change and everything else. And, you know, those are two things I hear millennials, and I, I, I'm in my 50s, but I've got my kids are millennials. And this is the one thing they keep bringing up is, you know, what are we doing to the planet? And, um, you know, I think there's a there's a real big need to have roads and wind energy and solar energy. And I like how he's combining the two. I mean, that's something I haven't heard the other candidates do. It's always like it's one or the other. But hmm. to hear him combine the two, it, it seems like a, a really good, positive message. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark, tell me what you are looking forward to this week as we get ready to watch these candidates on stage Tuesday and Wednesday night here in Detroit. What kind of things do you want them to talk about? What are what are your big priorities so far in the race? Well, I really want to start hearing some of them talk about education. I'm a school teacher, mm-hmm. and um, I want to hear what their plan is um, not just for inner city, but how they're really going to mobilize um, our educational system for the 21st century. I wanted to hear things about STEM. I'm a science teacher. I see a big lacking of science um, in education. You know, the big push now is reading a map. These are important things. But I want to hear how people are going to um, – change things educationally again with science i think that's huge i go back to thinking of the um you know the apollo missions and how uh, president kennedy really did a big push with science then in order to get us ready for that and um i think our big push now is the science of taking care of our our planet i mean that's our responsibility yeah. so. mark i appreciate the call and uh 
and the comments. And uh, I think a lot of people agree with you that uh, those are those are really pressing issues. And we haven't heard a whole lot about those issues quite yet in the campaign. Maybe we will uh, hear a little more this week. Again, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to Joe in New York City. Joe, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm a Detroit native hmm. uh, from Downriver, also formerly an educator. It's an absolute joke that no one discusses education. We sit here and talk about immigration and all these things, taking care of people trying to get in the country. What about the kids in Detroit? You know, where, where's the question? What about the money that uh, Cory Booker put up with Mark Zuckerberg out in Silicon Valley? Million, I think it was $100 million, and the money disappeared. They don't know what happened. That, that didn't come up in terms of mismanagement. But what has he really done for New Jersey education? I didn't really see any follow-up to any of that talk. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think uh, the record in New Jersey, as it is in many places, is pretty mixed, Joe. There are some real improvements in the Newark schools, uh, no question. There is way more stability than there used to be. Uh, but I think in terms of outcomes, uh, they're, they're still waiting. And, and I think that has to be said about most urban systems uh, in this in this country, but but I agree with you that uh, you know all of the candidates deserve some level of scrutiny about hey what have you actually done what have you actually achieved uh, and Cory Booker is not uh, not different than than the others in that regard. Um, uh, Joe, let me ask you what you're uh, looking what you're looking for in the in the debates that we're going to have on Tuesday and Wednesday. What do you want to hear? From we want to hear some, something of substance, something that is tangible, not just all the all they talk about are the headlines that are on the news. These, the Democrats are going to get pummeled. I'm not. I'm not on either side. Bernie Sanders was the guy for me last election, okay, because I felt that he represented the, the working people, the underdog, truly. And they went with Clinton. That didn't work out. But they're they're going to get pummeled unless they have a real candidate up there. Cory Booker's not even going to be in the running. So uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you had him on the show, but people need to press a little bit farther as to what these people have really done in their career instead of talking points. Okay. All right, Joe, I appreciate uh, you Thank listening you. and uh, calling in. Thanks. All right, uh, let's go to Kay in Mount Clemens. Kay, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me on. Hey. Yeah, um, I've just been listening to a lot of the Democratic candidates say, like, Donald Trump is a symptom of a bigger problem, and I think that he's more of a symbol. Like he is like a stand-in for a lot of very wealthy, corrupt, morally bankrupt people who uh, are happy to stay on top of the expense of the planet, racial minorities, um, LGBTQ people, anybody who is going to get in the way of them keeping millions or billions of dollars. Hmm. And what better way to stay on top than by funding a guy who shares their um, moral and financial interests, and by helping him keep in the White House. So, so what's the answer to that? Okay, I, I I can't argue with what you're saying, but I but I think it's often difficult to come up with what the pushback should look like to right. that kind of behavior. What 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 should people be doing? I think that instead they should be sitting there and talking about like, well, if he's supposed to be a symptom there's this bigger problem that I, no individual no congress one session is going to be able to address mm -hmm. and what we really need to do is talk with individual people like i work with people who say oh trump's a businessman he's successful that's why i voted for him but you've got to sit there and talk like look that's an image he presents that's what is being pushed on you and you got to dig a little deeper you can't just read some news headlines and think that's what's going on you got to dig deeper in this age mm -hmm. Okay, Kay, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts. Uh, thanks for being with us here on Detroit Today.
Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have a conversation with Lansing's former mayor about replacing all of that city's lead service lines, which started well before the Flint water crisis and concluded recently. We'll ask why that happened and how they got the money. Stay with us on Detroit Today.